Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, it's Alden, the producer of Shut Up Evan. This episode was recorded remotely during quarantine. You might notice some changes in audio quality throughout the episode, but the content is just as good. So stay home, stay healthy, and enjoy the episode. If you can't get enough of Shut Up Evan, and I get it, you can subscribe to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash shutupevan. You will be able to subscribe to exclusive content, including bonus interviews with all of our talent each week. This week, we'll be chatting with our guest, Nikki Glazer, to learn about her recent experience on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, where for the first time ever in the competition, they actually bended the rules for her. It's a really interesting story, and you'll want to check it out. So please subscribe to our Patreon. On today's show, comedian Nikki Glazer, who has performed on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Conan, Comedy Central Roasts, and Dancing with the Stars, among her robust credits. She also starred in her own Netflix comedy special in 2019. Glazer talks about hearing back from Taylor Swift after apologizing for a joke she once told. I wasn't trying to angle for anything for my career. I just, I wanted her to know. Because I've been her, I've been too skinny before, and to have someone go like, She's too skinny. And then the documentary, it's like she was anorexic. I was saying that as someone who was like, oh, I wish I could figure out what she's doing. Meanwhile, she's suffering with a disease that once almost killed me. What going makeup free during the pandemic has taught her? I think this whole thing has been good because I've gotten used to my own face without makeup so much now that hopefully when this is all over, I can like love myself even if I don't have eyeliner on. Writing jokes. I'm a nice person and I want everyone to like me and I want, and I love animals and I'm a, I'm a good person, but man, I can be mean. But then when, when you get to do a roast, you get to let that out and you have a license to be as mean as possible and it feels so good. Battling insecurities. Before I post something on Instagram, there's always three women I think about and I go, are they going to send this to each other and make fun of me and be like, what is she doing? And her short but memorable stint on Dancing with the Stars. I don't feel skinny. Like, I just feel like I'm like pregnant or so. Like, I just felt like I couldn't suck in. I was like, what's wrong with me? And I was just feeling bad. And then I got voted off Dancing with the Stars and I went to the bathroom and I pooped for like a thousand years. And I didn't realize I had not pooped like the whole month. Shut up, Evan. Hey guys, what's up? It's Evan Ross Katz and you are listening to Shut Up, Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I am joined once again by my producer, Alden Peters. Hello. How are you? I'm super excited. This is episode 12, which feels kind of like we have now a substantial body of work. The podcast kind of feels like it has some weight behind it. It feels like a, it feels like a good benchmark. Yeah. And there's like flow, like everything's a little bit more systematized in terms of how we do things. And even I as like an interviewer, I'm learning more about how to do this in real time. And then of course, we throw in a pandemic as soon as we were getting into the flow of things. But we found a way. For sure. I do want to mention, um, I've been hearing from a lot of people in my DMs with feedback about the podcast, saying that they're listening, some suggestions, some things that they want to see less of, some things they want to see more of. And I just want to say I'm extremely receptive to feedback and I would love to hear from people. So if anyone out there has any thoughts about things they like, things they don't like, guests they'd like to see on the pod, etc., my Instagram inbox is open. Drop me a line. Drop me a voice memo. I love a voice memo. And just shoot me your thoughts. I'm deeply, deeply interested in what others think about this, what they want to see. And I'm happy to sort of be in conversation with people that care enough to have an opinion. That's very meaningful to me. And you can send me all your nudes. Yeah. 
Speaking of your Instagram story and your DMs, I believe something happened recently with a certain person that you tend to call out who is a life coach slash hot man with a six pack that I think shows up in my Instagram discover page uh, quite often. One could say he has an eight pack. I mean, there are times if I look, if I zoom in, I see the two pectorals on the bottom there. Hmm. Or does an eight pack, is the eight pack the two on top of this? Is it like the two on top of the six or the two below? You know, to me, it's all just theoretical because it's so outside <laughs> of my own life. I have no idea. Fair. Yeah, I uh, I made a person very angry mm-hmm. on Instagram. And I think it's an interesting story in that it actually landed somewhere. I'm going to try and walk away from this experience a better person is that like gassed up to say i'm just i'm going to use this as an opportunity to grow great let's talk about it this person is one of the people that sometimes i will post screenshots of their instagram stories i will clip out videos of theirs and accompany it with the meryl streep scream from big little lies this scream (laughs) that scream And I do that because uh, I'm just sort of poking fun at the absurdity of this culture that sort of allows people to have a giant platform, often, not always, solely based on them being conventionally attractive. And I want to like exclamate the air quotes of conventionally attractive. Sure. But this is one person that I've sort of find myself posting about more regularly than a lot of like the one-offs that kind of just, you know, I fall upon because this person sort of tends to step in shit a lot. And most recently, it was like mid-March when the coronavirus was sort of beginning to take on more national headlines regularly. Like the, the steam was sort of, it was like kind of... It was like, this is this is a thing we will have to contend with. Exactly. And so he made a video on his stories expressing that This was not a big deal. People need to stop worrying about this. I remember this. I remember this. Yes. And I posted about it just because I thought it was absurd that someone who purports to be a life coach, because that is sort of what he sells himself as. Mm -hmm. So someone that purports to be a life coach and and has this massive following, 150,000 plus followers. I thought it was kind of ridiculous to see someone saying, don't panic when every indication from scientists at that point was, no, 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 we should panic. And I also just was like, who are you to tell us what to do regardless? That said, it's like, well, you don't have to listen. But anyway, so I posted about it. Milk, the drag queen, posted a video recently of him parodying this person. Oh my Um, God. And I reposted that video and I added the context of the original source video as I am prone to do because, you know, I like source material. Where can I see this? Is this on your Instagram or Twitter? It is gone, and 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 oh. this is yeah where where I where I was taking us. Um, so I posted that he, as he has done in the past, responded very negatively. Sent me a long DM about how I must be a very hurt person, and to go out and and hurt people as I do, and that he's heard from people that 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 I'm not a nice person, and blah blah blah. So I didn't I and I've never responded to him ever. And I didn't. Should I stop telling him that? (laughs) Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It's you, isn't it? (laughs) Um, And so I didn't respond. And then he then posted multiple stories naming me for the first time. Because he usually just says, like, there's this troll. But he was, like, naming me. And I thought a lot about it because in that moment I was like, wow, I've really been put on blast. I saw a lot of people putting the word bully out there about my behavior in sort of a a larger, I use the word ecosystem a lot, but a larger ecosystem of people like me who try and poke fun at these people. So I was kind of just choosing to ignore it in the beginning, but then I sort of had like a come to moment. And the reason why I think this is an interesting conversation, which leads into sort of the conversation with our guest later on, is that our guest famously had this moment in which she was perceived to be bullying Taylor Swift Mm -hmm. and had the opportunity to apologize and actually receive word from Taylor Swift. This story doesn't end exactly the same way, but my friend Sam Banks, who I just want to shout out, is like a really incredible human being. Love Sam. You know Sam? No, I'm just... (laughs) Um, 
he sent me this really incredible text and I do want to read it because I think I learned a lesson from all of this that I didn't expect to learn. And he said, can I say something? And I said, of course. And he said, obviously it's your job and part of your career to like hold up a mirror, celebrities and shit and call out the absurdity. But I don't like seeing someone have a leg to stand when they call you a troll. You're better than that. While he is incredibly out of touch and clearly has never been connected to a queer community in any real way, I feel like you're bigger than that crusade. And I responded and I said, T, okay, I'll stop. And he said, I mean, I'm not asking you to stop. I'm just holding a mirror up and saying, you have so many gifts and you're so good at what you do. Don't even waste your time. You don't want to give anyone the grounds to call you a troll. I respect him so much. I also am someone who is like very, very receptive. Oh, excuse me. I try and be very receptive to feedback. Yeah. I think it's an instance in which something that I do hold my ground on the fact that I do enjoy calling out this behavior. And I do think it's, fun to punch up at this power imbalance that is at play. But I understand how it sort of can lead to a toxicity, especially when the person you're talking about is actually seeing it, that I don't really want to play into. And I have been accused by a lot of people of being a bully. And I think that the very concept of bullying is to go after people that don't have power. And I feel like what I'm doing or what I'm attempting to do, I should say, because maybe I'm not doing it well. What I'm attempting to do is go after people with power. And so the idea that it's not seen that way by some people and is seen as trolling is indication to me that it's time to stop. But it's an interesting thing in seeing something that I attempted as humor and with like, you know, a subtle social statement to be perceived in a way that was affiliated with a kind of behavior that I don't want to be affiliated with. So who hurt you, Evan? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, no, that's true. That's like, that's good that you recognize that and can learn from it. I find those things funny when I see them on your Instagram story, for example. But to me, they're just abstract hot people like but then I guess if I'm really thinking about myself and my livelihood if it's like girl this is what I do for a living this is how I make my money and you're just like coming after me I can see how that that could definitely be perceived as as bullying I think I think the difference though is like especially like for as long as I've known you like your reach and your platform has just grown and grown and grown and there's a lot of power in that so it's like by you know, you can make this comment offhand to your friends, but like your social media is not just to your friends. Like it can be a very powerful tool. I think that's the key difference. That is absolutely the key difference. And I think that ugh, that's such a good, um, that's such an interesting point. And I think in the beginning when I used to do this, when my following was much less and more people that really knew me, there was that sort of mutual understanding of a, of a type of humor that I have. Yeah. And I think this relates a lot to the conversation with Nikki. Yeah. Which is that I kind of, I need to be a little bit more mindful of this platform because I get a lot of people in my DMs being like, end him or like, yes, like get her Jade. And it's like, I didn't intend this to be like, I'm trying to build an army of people against this person. I don't give a fuck. And I think what I'm learning is that like something that was very, I don't give a fuck it became kind of like dark in a way that I mm -hmm. don't, that doesn't satisfy me. And so anyway, all this to say, I'm not going to speak about him anymore. I thought it, I wanted to address it with you now because I feel like it aligns itself with today's topic. Yeah. And it's been a little bit heavy on me just because it feels toxic and it was meant to feel fun. And I want to recognize that and sort of like, step away maybe with my dignity maybe with and that is a perfect segue um i think later in this episode you're going to hear this story about um nikki apologizing to taylor swift and what happened there um it's really fascinating so it let's is. get started with the interview she first got her start in television with the 2013 series nikki and sarah live on mtv and has appeared on a number of shows since including season 27 of dancing with the stars and most recently as the host of bravo's rebooted blind date she has appeared on three Comedy Central roasts, where she roasted everyone from Robert De Niro, to Martha Stewart, to Peyton Manning, to Bruce Willis, to Caitlyn Jenner. It's incredible. She's a podcaster, she's a radio host, she's a stand-up comic, she's incisive, she's quick-witted, she's both thoughtful and thought-provoking. She is Nikki Glaser. Nikki... 
all tea. Like, truthfully, I think you are the one of the funniest fucking people in this world. I've been such a fan of yours for so long, and I'm so grateful of you for making the time. Oh my God. I'm so, I, I'm like, likewise. I like, love you so much. And I'm such a fan of everything you do too. You're so funny. So I, I jumped oh. at the chance. Well, I'm delighted. So, so you host uh, You Up with Nikki Glazer on Sirius XM, which you've been doing since 2018. And it's such a great platform for you because you really excel at the art of talk. Do you think that being good at talk is a skill? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's not a skill that I honed necessarily on purpose. It's just, I'm a chatty bit, a twat. Uh, no, I'm a, ch- I'm a just, a, I'm one of the chat. I'm a chatty broad. I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a yappy broad is what I say about myself on stage. I just talk a lot. And now that I've, you know, have a little bit more confidence in what I'm saying, I just, once you get me going, I can just go, go, go. And it's funny because I just I have a therapist and a psychiatrist that I talk to for an hour each week. And I I double booked them yesterday. Like they were back to back. And both of them were like, You don't ever let me say anything. So I don't know what this is. Like they were it's like I do a podcast with them where they're just listen like it's I gotta stop talking. But yes, I think it's a gift. I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to watch myself on different shows and certainly on this, like even right now in this moment where I'm just like, just shut up for a second, like just a second, let someone else talk. So I'm trying to be less chatty. I get it. Literally, my podcast is called Shut Up Evan because I, you know, I face a similar battle. Yes. Um, Okay, good. So you are one incredibly hardworking person. So you film the radio show and then you have your e-show, Nikki Glazer is Obsessed. Then you do your nightly sets sometimes and then you're mm-hmm. traveling all over the country on your stand-up tour. Mm-hmm. But all of that has changed because <laughs> of our given circumstance. And so yeah. now you are back living with your parents, as I understand. Mm-hmm. What kind of mind fuck has it been to not only not be working for the time being in the, in the standard capacity, but then also be back with mom and dad. It's um quite a mind fuck. It's a good one though because I was just thinking about it, and it's it just feels like summer break. You know, that's what it feels like being home. I'm just like I I always kind of got really lazy during summer break. I would sleep really late. My parents are just kind of annoyed by my presence. I'm just eating too much cereal. I really needed this break. I was really overworked. And it, it's not comfortable for me. Like I'm struggling with what to fill it with. And, you know, I'm eating too much. I'm sleeping too much. I'm smoking too much pot, which we all are doing something to deal with the, with how much everything has changed. But I went from being the busiest woman in the world to um, being not, I mean, I'm staying busy. I'm doing a lot of talking in my dad's office with different podcasts and do, still doing my show, but not doing sets at night. Like, that is something I've been doing for the past, you know, 15 years every single night. And it's, I don't really miss it, to be honest with you. Like, it's kind of nice not to have to, like, do my hair and makeup every single night and go back out and do a set and come home and wash it all off. Like, I'm just enjoying not being dressed up. I put on jeans today just for this, just to keep myself accountable because it is not okay that I, I'm just, like, gaining weight really recklessly, like, in a way that is just... I just need to check myself by putting on jeans and I'm not joking you. They, I thought I had COVID the other day cause I put on jeans and I was short of breath. And then I was like, Oh yeah, you haven't worn jeans in three weeks. <laughs> Never mind. Your oxygen levels are fine. Do you know those? Like, do you ever go see a regional theater production and the headshots for some of the actors are like, you know, clearly 20, 30 years old. <laughs> That's me. And I'm like saying to people, it's like, you will not see me again until this is over. I will only exist in old photos. And so yes. like when and if I reemerge, like that's when I will be back. Until then, I am only in audio form. Like that is my I only know. It, it, you're so right. Looking, I even feel insincere to put up a picture of myself from a month ago. Like that's how far yeah. removed. I feel like it's like deceiving people. Like this is, I keep posting pictures of myself being like, have you seen this girl? Because like anything <laughs> of me like looking put together as she's such a, a distant memory. It was funny because I was, I, I live in New York, but I was visit, I was in LA right before this all happened for who wants to be a millionaire. I did a bunch of TV stuff. And, um, and then I never went back to New York. I just, my parents were already in LA with me because they, my mom was going to be on Kelly Clarkson with me that week. 
which got canceled. But we had already exposed each other to each other. So I was like, I'll just hang out with these people and go back to St. Louis. So I brought back like this suitcase of like clothes that I was supposed to wear on tour and wear on TV. And I brought like nothing, like the clothes I have in my closet, none of them I will ever wear. Like I'm not putting on anything tight. It's just disgusting to even think about it. But you know what was nice? I saw Julia Louis-Dreyfus on Conan last night. She was like yelling at some woman about social distancing when she was walking her dog or something. And she was like, the woman didn't recognize me. I had a mask and I had my fat ass. She kept getting, saying that she had gained like like 11 pounds, then it was 73, then it was 300. Like it makes, yeah. if Julia Louis-Dreyfus is gaining weight, we all can gain weight. It's okay. It's like, and finally I can relate to a billionaire, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so you wrote something in an essay for InStyle Magazine recently. Oh my that God, I yes, highlight. it just came out today. It did. I'm on my shit. And you, you said, are. quote, Lately, I've gotten my whole makeup routine down to such a science that I can look stage ready in about five minutes. It wasn't yeah. always this way. I used to devote so much energy to my eye makeup alone, but spending $90 on three different brushes and a palette of 78 colors to paint a Parisian landscape on an area the size of a postage stamp is a waste of time, money, and talent. Yes. Whew. I imagine so many people will read that and exhale in agreement. In the beginning... Were you wanting to devote that energy to makeup or was it something that you felt compelled to do, like you, that you had to do it? Well, it just makes you look so much better. Makeup <laughs> works. And that's the problem. All of this stuff that we do, it works. And men go, oh, you know, and I'm a straight woman, so I'm trying to catch the male gaze. I'm single and I, I want to attract men. I mean, essentially... I'm sorry, that's what we're doing. It, that's what I'm doing it for. I want to look hot so that I can find a fucking husband so I don't have to go through a pandemic with my parents again. And that is <laughs> why I wear makeup is to for, for men. You know, obviously I want girls to be like, she's pretty, but like what we're doing is, that's the problem, Evan, is that I feel like it does work. And everyone goes, you don't need to wear makeup. You're beautiful. And it's like, I'm so much better looking with eyeliner. It's crazy. And so- it just got to the point where I realized, okay, what is actually essential here? Eyeliner, yes. Mascara, yes. Concealer, yes. Like those are things that I'm grateful as a woman that I get to wear and that if men wear them, they're suddenly like, they they can't even though they should. It would behoove men to wear like concealer. And I don't think it would make them less manly to do so, honestly. Okay. I'd be more, whenever men wear makeup for TV, like straight dudes that are just like, and they wear it, then they, they never wash it off. They let sure. they always take it out on the town because they know they look better. So that's the problem is that, it, but then there's the, the do, using the different colors in your eye, eyelids and stuff, unless you're like an artist and that's how you want to express yourself. Because a lot of women don't get to do, don't get to be creative. I mean, they work desk jobs, they're babysitters, they're moms, they're busy and they're great artists and they don't get to express that anywhere. So doing it on your face, more power to you but if you're doing it like I just it just happened the other day to be honest with you I was doing um David Spade's lights out he does like a digital version and he has like a lot of followers and a lot of like I just wanted to look nice for it but I got sent the topics that we were going to talk about about an hour before and I didn't really have that much time to write jokes for it and I did the show with Pete Holmes and I had to take that, that hour, 15 minutes of that hour went to me making my face look good and my hair look good. Whereas Pete Holmes could focus on right. jokes. And it's like, that bothers me that, and it's, it's my own choosing. It's not Pete Holmes fault. It's not, it's just, I, at some point needed to go, what's important here? Eyeshadow for me, not it's, and it makes me look older. Eyeshadow, I've realized it just makes me look older. That's okay. Sorry. I'm just like, keep going. But one more thing about makeup. Please. Is that like everyone I've been wearing less makeup and ev like no makeup and going on zoom and, and talking to my friends and stuff. And everyone's like, you look so young. And I'm like, it's so funny because when you don't wear makeup, you look young because kids don't wear makeup. And so right. you look a little bit more like a kid. So there's something about that. Like when you wear makeup, it does age you. So I hope to strike some, I think this, this whole thing has been good because I've gotten used to my own face without makeup so much now that hopefully when this is all over, I can like love myself even if I don't have eyeliner on. 
God, if nothing good has come of this pandemic, <laughs> let it be that. No, I'm just yeah, teasing. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so there's this great documentary, When Jews Were Funny. And David Brenner shares this story of when he was five years old and his father brought him outside to watch their neighbor fixing his car. And he recalls his father telling him to look at the neighbor who was really like struggling. It was like a hot July day. And he said, look at him through your extra eye that his father called it the funny eye. And so David Brenner looks again at the neighbor and realizes that the guy's pants were coming off. His ass was sticking out and he starts laughing. And he says that that's when he realized that there's something funny in everything. Huh. Do you recall any similar experience in sort of learning that it was just a matter of perspective? Like the world itself was a funny place if you chose to look at it that way? I remember the first time that like I felt like maybe the way I look at things is special or different was when I was like five and my Aunt Lynn was like shrieking out in the back patio because there were ants all over the place. Like she hated ants. Like my aunt hated ants more than any kind of bug. And I just remember being like, aunt lynn you're you're an aunt like why do you hate ants and everyone freaked out and was like nikki just said the funniest thing and they were like running from room to room to tell each other and i just remember being like why doesn't everyone see that so there were little moments like that where i was like oh the way i look at things is special or different but then i have countless stories of that being like nikki shut up like that is really gross that you would even say that or think that so yeah there's definitely a third eye going on I mean, I think it's just so interesting because I think that there's a sensibility that people, I kind of think that's what gravitates me towards your comedy so much is a similar sensibility in terms of looking at situations that other people might deem the opposite of funny and being like, no, 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 no. Like you're missing a very funny thing that's taking place in plain sight. Yes. I think it's a survival because I think I was just in a lot of pain as a child, just emotionally, just I was very sensitive. And I think that you have to find a way to look at things like the bright side of things just to get by. Otherwise it will like destroy you. So I think that, you know, I'm a really dark person and like depressed person. So I think it's my brain kind of helping me through those times of like, don't take this all so seriously, you know, but also I just think it makes me, sometimes I would like to just enjoy something without analyzing it or overanalyzing it. Like last night I was watching killing Eve and I just, I can't watch it anymore because it's just none of it would happen in real life and it bothers me. And I, I maybe that's not a good example. I know I'm supposed to suspend disbelief. I really can't suspend disbelief unless it's a like this is a sci fi show. We're living on another planet. I need the rules of the world to like fit into. That's why I don't like scripted shows. So so often things happen that I go that would never happen. And yeah. I love reality shows because like if it happens, it's like. It happened. And yes, it was all set up and it's fake, but I, I just love reality more than scripted. I'm just realizing oh, that. Me too. It's funny. I'm, yeah. so I'm watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer with my boyfriend for the very first time, oh. which is like a very like important moment in our relationship for me. And he's had never trouble. seen it. Never. Okay. Surprise. Wow. I, um, I don't know it either, but I know that people know it. Like it's, I know that I would love it, but continue. Yeah. But so he has trouble getting over the fact that in every episode, students die at the school and then they come into school <laughs> the next day and like life goes on. And Billy yeah. keeps being like, wait, like why is no one addressing that just last night these vampires like ravaged the school? And I'm like, you just gotta like sink into it because like you're, it it's go. a long road ahead. Yeah, but <laughs> it's funny because you you sort of like, you train your brain not to pay attention to these things, but if you have the kind of brain in which you see it, it's like you, you always see it and it makes it hard to get past the premise. Yes, it does. I uh, A lot of people wrote to me and they're like, Killing Eve is a pulp fantasy. Like it's, you gotta suspend disbelief. And I'm like, but then why do, why do every other, all the laws of physics and the laws of nature, uh, uh, like there's nothing else that's happening weird. It's just that this woman can sense when someone's behind a door suddenly, like I don't buy it. Like, I'm just like, annoyed by a lot of things, but I'm going to keep watching it because Jodie Comer, her skin is so amazing. I just want to stare oh, at it. She's so beautiful. So I've been thinking a lot about the differences between theater and comedy. And in theater, at a musical per se, people are going to applaud after every number, even if it's qualitatively bad. And at the end, everyone is going to do it once more. Maybe not necessarily a standing ovation, but it's built into the ritual of theater to applaud. With comedy, the laugh is earned. So how, like, have you developed any skills with regard to reading a room and discovering the ticks in real time that sort of 
help get the laugh or, or sort of, I feel like with comedy, you have to be a lot more present than a theater artist. And this isn't trying to demean theater artists, but what I'm trying to say is that theater artists are going to get the applause so long as they do the thing that's built in them. With comedy, you're not guaranteed your laugh. No, you're not. Yeah. So what have you learned through your years of experience on stage in terms of getting what you need from an audience and in turn giving them what they need? Yeah, it's it's I'm always so envious of theater or even live music where it's like you play a song, everyone's quiet. And then at the end, everyone claps, even if it sucked. And it's like, God, that's nice. To me, it's not it's it's not sincere. And, and it's not like you're not getting an honest feedback about what you did. And I feel like stand up just really it keeps you in check the entire time. I mean, you know, in real time, if you're doing well or not at all times. And there are times where you maybe go on a long story that has a huge punchline. So the audience is like captivated and quiet. I don't often do that. I really, really feed off of laughs. I I was in this documentary called I Am Comic ages ago. I was a struggling comic in like 2009 uh, working in this crappy club in Tampa. No, it wasn't that, you know, it's terrible. Actually. I was, I was, I was at the, no, it was in uh, Orlando. It doesn't matter. So Tampa. Yes. So I was there and they had this machine, this guy like had this machine about that determines whether or not you're a good comic. And it just, you plug in your set and then it counts the laughs and then it divides it by the amount of jokes or about minutes. And it does laughs per minute. And my score was like super high because, I, and that doesn't mean I'm a better comic. By his by his device, he's like, yes, that means you're great. But to me, it was like, I can't stand not knowing if they like me for more than five seconds. So I require a, a punchline at every, I just always need to check in. Like, do you still like me? Do you still like me? Do you still like me? So it, it's only in the past couple years that I've been like, okay, they like me. They bought a fucking ticket. I don't always need to have a punchline. Sometimes things are just interesting that uh maybe you're not gonna get a laugh maybe sometimes people just go ah but it doesn't mean that it's not valuable to say just because it's getting a laugh so I'm constantly aware of when's the laugh coming next and I've developed my act in a way that there will always be a punchline to bail me out that I know works I'm constantly aware of of the silence and knowing that I cannot have too much of it or I'll die I don't know what the fear is but I guess that's why they call it dying on stage like you really feel like you're dying when you're bombing every time I bomb and it hasn't happened in a really long time but that's just because I do it so much like you put in your 10,000 hours you're going to be an expert at anything but there are times where I still you know eat a dick on stage like I really I'll just have a bad night or I'll try a new bit that no one's really feeling and it's not one of those oh my god I I do that too it's one of those like that's just her, you know, like the audience is like gross. And every time I, it, it happens, I get this trickle of sweat down that starts on my lower back and it trickles down. And I know that it's a terrible, if I'm not able to get a laugh before the trickle hits my ass crack, that to me is a definition of like a wild bomb. And it happens a lot because the trickle goes quick. As soon as I start <laughs> not getting laughter, it forms, the bead of sweat forms, then it starts going. And I'm like, dig yourself out, dig yourself out. And then, and then, and then I can't get it out. If it hits my butt, it's done. So that's a little litmus test I have for myself. <laughs> so that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Feeling when you quote unquote bomb, how long does that feeling stay with you? Can you get in the car and within 20 minutes shake it off? Or is it something that really stays with you? 
it it's it stays with me until my next set or until the next thing where I get the uh, get the laugh. So generally it stays for about a day because I don't go for longer than a day without doing stand up. Thank God the last set I did before coronavirus was a good one because I would just be waiting for the next set. So it's really you just you you feel it on yourself the whole day and you just go, I've never been funny. They were right. Finally, there was a crowd that that told me the truth and I should quit. And you just feel all those feelings. I mean, it's it's crazy how much I can vacillate between I'm the one of the funniest comedians that's ever lived. And then the next hour being like, I've never been funny. I'm a fraud. No one knows that I am. That audience did. And now I'll never say something funny again. And it's a lot like how I feel about my like weight. I've realized it's the same. It's kind of like humor dysmorphia in the way that I have body Mm. dysmorphia where there's one day like in the same hour I can look at my body and be like you're such a fat piece of shit get it together and then I'll catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror and I'm like you look too skinny like people are gonna be worried (laughs) eat something and I'm like well Nikki not both of those things cannot exist within the same hour so you're crazy and that's how I feel with comedy (laughs) I love that uh I want to talk about the art of the roast because I think that you are beyond top-notch. It's the comedy format that tickles my sensibilities most because it's comedy that deflates the holiness of celebrity. Yes! So the roster of people you've roasted is a resume unto itself, and it includes Robert De Niro, Martha Stewart, Peyton Manning, Jewel, Ann Coulter, Bruce Willis, Caitlyn Jenner, and more. Mm -hmm. When did you first fall in love with roasting? I think it was like the roast of David Hasselhoff, maybe the roast of Donald Trump. It was Bob Saget. There were these roasts that were coming out and I would just, I loved them. And I loved Sarah Silverman so much. When I first started, like, she's the reason I do comedy. She's like, uh, she's just like, if she didn't exist, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. But, and so I'd watch anything she did. And I was just, I love a good one-liner joke. I just love the craft of joke writing. And then I especially love it you know, my standup is like bits now. Like I have one-liners within a theme, but you wouldn't go, she's a one-liner comedian, even though that's how I got my start. I would just do one-liner jokes and then move on to the next. It was almost like kind of Mitch Hedberg-esque. Like you didn't really get into the meat of things because I just didn't have the experience to do it. But now roasts are really my only time where I'm like, you write a joke and when it's done, it's done move on to the next topic. And I like the cleanliness of it. It's like a math problem. So that's what I really love about roast jokes. And- I'm really a dark, mean person. Like it lets my, I'm a nice, I'm a nice person and I want everyone to like me and I want, and I love animals and I'm a, I'm a good person, but man, I can be mean. I can be such a vicious bully in my own head, not just to other people, but to myself too. Like I'm a pretty brutally mean to myself. And, but then when, when you get to do a roast, you get to let that out and you have a license to be as mean as possible. And it feels so good. I want to mention two of my favorite roast lines of yours and then see if you have a favorite. There's many to choose from, but uh, so one is during the roast of Alec Baldwin when you tell Jeff Ross that he looks like if Popeye ate Popeyes. (laughs) Which is just unbelievable and so succinct. Like, what can you say about Jeff Ross that he hasn't heard before? It's like, uh, oh, I respect you. Um, You look nice tonight. Here's your salad, sir. Stuff like that. Okay. (laughs) Jeff, you look like if Popeye only ate Popeyes. And then during the roast of Rob Lowe, this is one of my favorites. You say, Peyton Manning is here. That's not for you guys. That's for him. Peyton, you're here right now. You've had a lot of concussions. You're here. Don't murder your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Don't murder your wife is so funny. So funny. So, So good. Peyton Manning is here. That's not for you guys, that's for him. Peyton, you're here right now. You've had a lot of concussions. You're here. Don't murder your wife. Do you have a favorite line from a roast? Oh, you know what my favorite one was? This is it. Just because of what I was talking about before, how they're like, roast jokes are like math problems. And when you see a connection between two things and you're like, I know there's a joke there, but where is it? So I was doing the roast of... um, Rob Lowe and uh, Ralph Macchio was on the panel. And so was uh, Jimmy Carr, comedian Jimmy Carr. And I remember just being like, I don't have anything for Jimmy. I don't really have anything for Ralph. I don't remember. I didn't watch the Karate Kid. I don't know anything. But then I was like, 
I was thinking about Jimmy Carr, and I was just like, Jimmy Carr, Jimmy Carr, Jimmy. Okay, the word car is in it, and Jimmy, Jimmying a car would be like you unlock a car, but you can't say I Jimmy Carr. That doesn't make sense. But if you Jimmy a car, oh, wait a second. I wonder if his middle name might be A, like start with an A, because then I could be like Jimmy a car. And then I looked, and his middle name was A. And I was like, I felt like, oh, like it was. So I go, so I said, Jimmy A. Carr is what Ralph Macchio is going to have to do to find a place to sleep tonight. <laughs> and so that to me, although it didn't get as much attention, that to me was one of those ones where it was like the comedy gods like descended on me. And I just felt like I had like a, a transcendental moment of like, yeah. wow, I, I figured it out. I, I, I was like on a chalkboard writing like Matt Damon. and You're, you know, the, like, you're the crazy math lady meme. Yes, I am. I'm yeah, Julia. Ro- is that Julia Roberts? Uh, I no, it's not Julia Roberts, but I don't know who it is. Honestly, I Wait only know second. her as the crazy. That's not lady. Julia Roberts. I think it's from a telenovela. Wait a second, that looks like Julia Roberts. Or, or do we? Does it not? Oh no, it totally looks like her for sure. Wait, and it's not her. That is wild. You know what? This is this is blowing my mind. I almost feel like this is the Berenstein Bears thing. You know the Mandela effect. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, so Julia Roberts is not the math one. You know who else? You remember, you know the one that looks like Zach Galifianakis where he's in the woods and he kind of just yeah, yeah. turns and he, and he smiles? It's not Zach Galifianakis. It's Robert Redford. Okay, that is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing! <laughs> I'm serious. The one where he just like nods in the woods and he has a mustache? Yeah, of course. And it's yeah, we all know that one. See, that this is, is not- why, like meme culture has taken our brains and just turned them into oats. Like, I like still. I literally don't believe you that Julia Roberts is not that. I was like, what movie? Where she, was she a mathematician? Yeah, right. Um, maybe we'll <gasps> get one eventually. So you do this thing after your roast that I find so interesting, where you tell the person you just roasted, "You're great." Or I love you. And no, no, no. And I think that that's so smart because what that, what I receive that as is it's showing that roast is like a sport. And you know how sports, um, after men or women participate in sports, they shake hands. To me, I've I heard, of, I don't really know that, yeah, but yes. Right? <laughs> or so they used to. It's hearsay, yeah. <laughs> I sort of see that as a similar gesture in terms of saying, like, uh, the battle that just went on is over. What is that moment like for you? And why do you include that in your roasts? Yeah, I, you know, I've never even noticed I do it. I just, it's such a weird thing because people always go, are you ever scared of writing all these jokes and then saying to the celebrities as they're sitting there? Because when you prepare for a roast, they're not there. I go up at the, you know, the comedy store, the improv, and I do my sets. Leading up to the roast, I do like a hundred sets trying to figure out these jokes. And it's, and it's obviously not the same. They're not sitting there. And so I'm not trained to deliver these jokes in front of these people. And then all of a sudden I'm backstage before the show goes live. And every single time I've done three roasts, every single time I go, oh my God, I have to say that one joke. And I have to like stare. I have to like be on stage with that person afterwards. And there's, and that's the weirdest part is that when they go to commercial after your set, you've just like said the meanest things ever. And then you have to sit back down in your seat next to the person. And there's no like publicists or assistants or family members coming up and hanging out with celebrities. We're all just like on stage alone together. So you have to talk to the person that you just trashed. When they give me a smile or something that makes me know it's okay, that's what makes me go, I love you. Thank you. Because Caitlyn Jenner was the one that I was so terrified of because leading up to her roast or the roast of uh, Alec Baldwin, in which she was a part of it, I had all of these jokes about, not all these, but I had two jokes about her car accident, right? Where the woman died. It was totally tragic. And I just, you know, I pulled no punches and, and they didn't tell me I couldn't, you know, I was just like, and it wasn't about the woman. It was just, it was about her or whatever. And, um, about Caitlin. And so I was doing those jokes. And then the day of the roast, Comedy Central called me and was like, she is going to walk off stage. If, any mention of that car accident if anyone says anything she had no idea that anyone would be so awful to even make a joke about that but she heard that there was a rumor that someone is going around town doing those jokes because it was me going around town (laughs) and and thankfully she heard about it because i would have done it and really upset her but i didn't know that's why i kept i kept saying to comedy central will you ask her if it's okay because they go we don't think this is going to be good for her and i go will you ask her and they're like "Mm, we don't even want to put it in her head and i was like well, I'm going to do the jokes until she says no. And I go, can I ask her? 
and I had never met her before. I was like, can I just stop by her trailer before? Cause all the trailers are in the back. Can I just have a one-on-one with her and be like, listen, I have these jokes. What do you think? And if she said, no, I wouldn't have done them. And they were like, no, we don't want you talking to her. So I was planning on doing it, but then they, they found out, they were like, she found out that someone's doing these jokes and she, she'll walk off stage. So I go, okay, good. I won't do them. But then I was like, fuck, she probably thinks it's that she probably knows it's me that did those jokes. She probably hates me so much. And before the show, we were like hanging out backstage and I was just trying to like make eye contact with her of like, I'm not a bad person. I'm like, sorry. And then we all are like, okay, let's go to stage. So we're walking and I'm like trying to catch up with her because I'm in these heels and she has like very long legs and she's an athlete. So she's like walking so fast. I'm like, Caitlin, a word. And I was like, hi, Caitlin. I'm Nikki. So good to meet you. I was like, I just want to say that um, I, I heard someone, one of my friends saw your rehearsal and they said you absolutely killed. And she looked at me like, is that a joke about like Mike? And I was like, why did I say killed? What? Like she kind of looked at me just like, all right. And it sounded, it sounded like I was kind of being a, a bitch. Like you think that was bad. That's what's about <laughs> to happen. You know, like I'm giving you a little precursor buckle off. Cause you did it last time, you know, like, so <laughs> I was like, Oh no, I used the wrong word. I was just trying to be friendly and have like a peacemaker, like just a, a peaceful moment with her. But then when I got up there, I really was scared because I thought she was just not going to laugh at any of my jokes just because she knew that I could possibly do that joke, which I wasn't going to do, and I, which I didn't do. But as soon as I got started talking, Caitlyn Jenner at, like was on the edge of her seat, like looking at me like she was rooting for me like a mother. Like she was like, and she was applauding. And then I was telling her that she was a bad mother and she abandoned Brody and the Brandon or the ones whoever, we don't even know their names, who gives a shit. And, um, and she, and she was going, I did abandon them. Good job. Like she was like cheering me on. And it was that kind of moment that I had with her where I was like, I love you because it's so important when you're doing roasts to get the celebrity to okay everything and to like laugh along. Because if you don't have that, you will bomb. If the, if the celebrity sits there and it's just like, then you, no matter how funny you are, it's not going to work. So I think I kind of say that in a way to be like, good, your reaction right now. I love that you're being cool about this. Thank you. Because it's going to make me have a better set. And that's why I laugh my fucking tail off when I'm up there because it makes everyone else kill so much harder. And because some of the jokes are so devastating, you have to just laugh really loud because Otherwise, your face would make some kind of grimace where everyone would know that you're thinking about getting plastic surgery after this. I love that. Before we get into Nikki's time on Dancing with the Stars, let's take a quick break. And we're back with Nikki Glazer. Hi, Nikki. Hi. You appeared on Dancing with the Stars in 2018, which I know is probably not your most keen subject to talk about, but I bring it up for a reason. So you said this in a press interview leading up to the premiere that I found quite profound. You said, quote, I said yes because I'm 34 and I'm tired of caring what people think. And this show to me is only scary because I would care what people thought of me. I am tired of being a woman who cares what other women or or other men think about my looks, about my talent, about my skills. It is a waste of time. I'm doing the thing I'm worst at and I don't care what you say. I'm just going to have fun. And if I can do this, then literally I can do anything. Yeah. I love that quote. It sort of is emblematic of everything that I love about you. I know the experience might not have been exactly as you wanted it to be, but looking at it through the lens of that quote, what did you learn about that experience with regards to not giving a fuck about other people? Wow. um, That was really a good thing to hear again. Like I'm about to be 36 and I was 34 when I said that. And I still struggle with the same things of worrying about what certain women think about me. What is this going to look like? You know, before I post something on Instagram, there's always three women I think about and I go, are they going to send this to each other and make fun of me and be like, what is she doing? There's always like that, those two or three people in your head that you're like, I'm worried they're going to DM this to each other and make fun of me. And I was, I was thinking about the same people when I said that quote and it still haunts me. But at this point I was voted off first at dancing with the stars and I'm so glad I said yes to that show, but it really was, it was the scariest thing I've ever done. I didn't know that the show was live when I said yes to it. I thought like, Oh, okay. If I fall, I can just like tape it again. But then they're like, no, it's live. And I'm like, Oh no. And it really did prove to me. I can do anything. Like I, I'm a terrible, terrible dancer. I've never had rhythm. I didn't dance my whole life. So I just like did it to 
to say like, let's just see what happens. I went into that show not knowing if I could learn a single dance because I had never tried to learn a dance since that day in fifth grade, ever, ever, ever. And I would go to concerts. I wouldn't move a muscle. I would go. I always wanted to dance. And I always just felt like it's just not something I'm allowed to do. I'm terrible at it. So when they asked me to do it, I'm like, well, now I have a reason to like find out. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. My dance instructor or my partner, Gleb Sevchenko, has done over 20 seasons of the show because that show is in 52 different nations. It's a true story. And they just recycle the dancers and they go from country to country doing the show constantly. And he has been on the show 20, more than 20 times and had 20 different partners. And he said, I was the worst out of all of them. And that teaching me was like teaching a robot. And like, I mean, I was, I could see in his eyes, like just, I, I have special needs when it comes to dancing. And I'm not saying that to be funny. Like I literally... It's like I'm dyslexic for dancing. Like I just took way longer to learn and had to work so much harder to learn stuff that other people came naturally to me. I cried so much. I got injured. It was so hard. And I was so worried about what people thought about me. And then to top it off, not only do I learn the dance and I felt good about what I did because I came from like, it was like, I remember one time when I we recorded one of the dances during our practice. And it was the first time that I had gotten this minute dance down the whole minute. Like I could at least do it. It wasn't, didn't look nice, but I got it down and we recorded it and we're looking at it. And I was scared to look at myself cause I hadn't watched myself dance yet on, and we taped it. One of the producers taped it and Gleb was like, let's watch it. Let's analyze it and, and see how we can improve, but you got it. And then we watch it and I was feeling so good. Like I got it. And then I watched it and I was like, I go Gleb. And I started sobbing. I was like, if you would have told me that this girl dancing was like in a bad car accident and she like couldn't walk. And this is the first, like she learned how to do this dance. And she like had just learned to walk like a month ago. I would still be disappointed in her. And he, he started laughing so hard that he couldn't stop. Like he couldn't get gain his composure because it was so true. Like I was that bad. And I was finally calling it out. And, um, he got, he was laughing so hard that it was, you know, when you laugh too hard at someone's joke about themselves that you validate what they're saying. Yeah. And so you, then you get mad at them and you're like, okay, just stop. Like, just stop saying it. Like he was crying, <laughs> laughing and he got mad at me. He was like, Nikki, just stop. We got to get back to work. And I was like, you know it, Gleb, you know, I dance like a disabled woman. And it was just <laughs> the truth. So when I finally did the dance on TV, I just felt so glad that I didn't fall and it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible and it was whatever. I was just glad I did it. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life getting voted off first because I wanted to just not be voted off first. Like it's just at that point in the show, no one even cares. Like first voted off, like everyone's just like, get out of here. No one would talk to me after my dance on set. Like all the other dancers and all the celebrities. I was a two night show. The first night you did your dance and the judges were so mean to me. I was happy. I got done with the dance. I was like, I did it. I'm a dancer. Like I was trying to be like happy and like, just like exude happiness and like positivity, even though I was like fucking terrified. And the, the judges were like, that was not good. Like, I don't know what you're excited about. And I'm like, I'm excited I didn't fall. And they're like, that was terrible. You're an awkward dancer. You have no rhythm. They were just so mean to me. And afterwards, none of the dancers and none of the celebrities that were my friends on the show would even talk to me because they were so embarrassed for me. So I was seriously sitting alone backstage on my phone, like, like trying to tweet, like vote for me tonight. And I'm alone in this red leotard that is so ill-fitting. I just want to say what, I know I'm on a roll here, but this is fucking hilarious. So also in Dancing with Stars, I was so nervous the month leading up and so uh, like overwhelmed and overworked. And I was like, so like, I felt amazing in the leotard. Like I like looked amazing, but like, I don't know. There was just something about it that was like, I just like, I, I don't feel skinny. Like, I just feel like I'm like pregnant or something. Like, I just felt like I couldn't suck in. I was like, what's wrong with me? And I was just feeling bad. And then I got voted off Dancing with the Stars and I went to the bathroom and I pooped for like a thousand years. And I didn't realize I had not pooped like the whole month. I just didn't even realize it. Like, I was stuffed with, with like, I, people were saying, people always ask me like, Nikki, are you ever going to do a pregnant special like Ali Wong or Amy Schumer? And I'm like, I did. I was, I was like in my third trimester on Dancing with the Stars, but with poop. And it was so foul. So anyway, it was truly embarrassing. I am so glad I did it. I would 
killed to go back mm. on the show. I pitched them a Dancing with the Stars loser season in which everyone who was first voted off comes back to like do it again. Because that's the joy of that show. It's watching people who are bad learn how to dance. Like from where I was and where I came to was like, I, I like, I couldn't even believe how good I could be. And now, so what you asked, I now am able to dance. Like I am, I had a Taylor Swift dance party the other night where I danced on Zoom with 500 people and I don't have any skills still. Like nothing, I didn't really learn anything, but what it gave me was like, I don't give a, I don't care. Who cares if I'm bad? It makes me happy to dance. I don't really get that much joy. I like good dancers bring me joy, but I realize that I like it when people are bad at dancing and are just free and having fun. Totally. So that's what I learned. It gives you permission as someone else to also be free. Yes, to do whatever it is that you are scared of doing that you don't think you're good enough to do. It's just like, as long as you're having fun, that's kind of what people respond to anyway. I could obviously talk about Dancing with the Stars all day. I was on one episode, two episodes, two night premiere. But like, I love it. I'm dying to get back on. I do it in a heartbeat. I would do any reality show like competition. I loved it. And hated it. So as someone who's been in the comedy game for a long time, I'm curious what your perception has been around gay panic jokes, which were super prevalent in the 80s and 90s and seem to have lessened. You know, as a gay man, I'm seeing a lot more LGBTQ plus comedians, both on stage, but also just even on late night shows, for instance, John Early, Bowen Yang. I mean, the list is so long. Having been in the comedy game for a while, have you seen a shift with regards to the ways in which gay people are no longer so much the butt of the joke? So I, I hear what you're saying. And um, and I was even someone who early on in my career, when I first started out, I watched an old set of mine from like my first year of comedy. And one of my punchlines was like, that's gay. Or so it, it was just so repugnant to watch. And I didn't even watch it. I sent it to a friend to be like, hey, look at this old clip of me. And he goes, dude, did you, you shouldn't put that anywhere. And I was like, why? What, what joke? And he's like, you have this joke. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, and that makes me happy that, that now that seems so like something I would never do in a million years is make that joke. It's just like so stupid, but it made me aware of like how ignorant we all were to it and how we were so thoughtless and didn't even take into consideration how that might make someone uh, in the audience feel who's gay. Like it was just gross to me, but I have now learned that I'm glad that you, I think in your question, you've said that you've sensed a shift in that within comedy where it's not as, it's not the go-to anymore. And that really, I don't, I'm not aware of it as much as you would be. So that makes me happy to hear that from your experience because I try everything in my power to never um, uh, say anything that would make anyone feel bad about who they can't help that they are. And for a lot of like, and something that they shouldn't feel bad, whatever. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? I find that gay people are the funniest people because to be funny, you need to have gone through a lot of pain in your childhood, a lot of uh, not maybe liking who you are. And I'm just speaking from my own experience. I think I'm funny because I have I had low self-esteem. I wanted to be something different. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I had to develop a sense of humor to to d- defend myself against maybe someone saying that I'm this or that. And so I just, because the gay struggle is one that's so real and permeates our society even now. And, and, and you can't, you can't avoid it. Gay people are always funnier to me. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you don't see it as much as in stand up anymore because it did. I mean, I hate to admit that it used to be a punchline of mine. I would have never in a million years thought that it would be, but it was. And I just think it's because I'm glad that we've changed and I don't, I don't ever want to go back. I hate when comedians are like, we should be able to talk about anything. I don't, uh, it's don't censor me. It's like, if my, if something I'm doing is making someone feel bad about themselves, I just don't, I will always apologize for jokes. I always will. But in your defense, I do want to say though, that like the culture at the time was such that those jokes would, would get huge laughs. And so I'm of the mindset where it's like, there was a time and a place when that was the comedic trend. And so to me, I love your mindset, which is like, this is a thing that I did. And at that time it was perceived a certain way. Would I go back and do it again now? perhaps not but i don't necessarily think people need to regret jokes that don't age well just because 
jokes are specific to the climate that they were told in. And we have a very evolve, evolve, ever evolving climate that we're in. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely, if someone could go back and see that and they were like, that makes me feel bad about who I am right now, I could apologize to them. But like, I, ju- I definitely know that at the time I would have never thought that could hurt anyone's feelings. I'm so glad we don't, those jokes don't fly as uh, anymore. Mm. I just, yeah. uh, it's, it makes me hopeful. I do, I, I do believe in having a lot of sensitivity with stand up and like, and it's just, ugh, yeah, it just makes me kind of, it, it's, it's gross for me to even admit that I had that in my act, but you're right. Times have changed and good. So my last question, and what I'm so excited to talk with you about is about this Taylor Swift. I'll, <laughs> I'll set it up for a second, but before I do, I just want to say I messaged you immediately after this happened because I think I, like many people, it wasn't just what you did that resonated. I think it was an example of a broader cultural shift that you kind of we're ushering in in doing what you did. So to set it up, on January 31st, you shared a photo on Instagram of you in a Taylor Swift t-shirt with a lengthy caption in which you reflect on a joke that you had made about Taylor that ended up getting used in her recent Netflix documentary. In the post, you say that, quote, it should have been used as an, as an example of projection in Psych 101 classes. Taylor then responded to your post writing, wow, I appreciate this so, so much. And one of the major themes about the doc is that we have the ability to change our opinions over time, to grow, to learn about ourselves. I'm so sorry to hear that you struggle with some of the same things I've struggled with, sending you a massive hug. Just wow. This is such a deeply 2020 story, both in its (laughs) origin and where it ultimately landed, which seems to be in such a good place. What has that whole experience been like for you in watching this whole arc? I just love her so much. And I heard myself say, she's too skinny. All of her model friends. I don't like it. And like, that was the, that was me talking about the person that literally like, I care about more than most family members. Like it just... I knew exactly where it came from first, you know, like uh, hearing myself and it was from an interview from five years ago, but I was just like, Oh God, Nikki, you're just so obviously like jealous that she's thin, jealous that she has model frat. Like it was all coming from a place of, it was just gross. And like I said, I can admit when I've been wrong or when I've been like gross. And I just thought it was an opportunity. I just wanted it to get to her because I wasn't angling to be friends with her or to get her to like me or to get backstage passes. I knew that she would see it. I even asked my manager and agent, like, what should I do about this? They were like, do nothing. Like, we don't want it out there that this is you. Maybe no one will notice. My publicists were like, my lawyer goes, Nikki, no matter what happens, I'll still love you. And I was like, oh my God, what is going to happen here? I was like, because they all know Taylor Swift's like fucking powerful, you know, like don't get on her bad side. And that's not what I wasn't trying to angle for anything for my career. I just really like, I wanted her to know because I've been her, I've been too skinny before. And to have someone go like, she's too skinny. I don't like it. I was just like, and then the documentary, it's like, she was anorexic. It's like, she, I was saying that as someone who was like, oh, I wish I could figure out what she's doing. Meanwhile, she's suffering with a disease that once almost killed me. So like how fucking ironic that is. And so I wrote it and I, I think I sent what I had written to my friend Anya just to be like, hey, is this, are there any s- spelling errors? I really didn't toil over it that long. I was just like, I'll put this out there because I knew that I, I could have told like my agent, can I write a letter and can you guys get this to Taylor through your means and they would have been like yeah and then it would have never happened and then i'll never know if she would have seen it but i knew that if i put something public she might see it and she did and having her write back was like the best moment ever like i never expected it i will say as soon as i sent and press send and like post on that i didn't feel sad anymore i because i knew she was Mm. gonna see it and whether or not she accepted my apology i was like I've made amends for making an error. And I had a date that night with this guy who's like worthless and will never love me. And so I was on this date with him. You know, when you're on a date and you like, don't check your phone. And then you like, they go to the bathroom and you're like quickly. So I pulled (laughs) out my phone and I had like a million texts from people being like, oh, and I thought they were asking me like how my date was going, but they were like, no, Taylor wrote back. And so I looked and I'm like, oh my God, she wrote back. 
And the way she wrote back where she was just like, I appreciate this so much. Like I heard her voice in it. Like I knew it was her. And I just wrote back, thanks Taylor. I didn't want anything else. I was just like, it felt so good that she saw it and knows. And so moving forward, if I ever run into her, I won't feel like awkward. I won't be like tail between my legs. I've done this before in, in relationships with my friends. Like I'm, I don't find it that hard to admit when I'm wrong. I think that now I can go on and I can be right now in those ways. As long as you admit when you're wrong, then you can forgive yourself and other people, whether or not they forgive you. It's like, well, at least you, at least you tried. And at least you have, at least you've forgiven yourself. What a wonderful note to end on. Yeah. I want to thank you so much. And just, I want to take this opportunity to say, to me, you're not the queen of comedy. You are comedy. I think you are fucking hilarious, but also as evidence through this conversation, such a smart fucking human being. It's an honor to know you. And thank you so much for taking the time. I like when you reached out and when you were like just as into me as I was into you, it was like, so validating because right back at you like your posts your writing it's so smart it's so globally and socially conscious it's hilarious you know every time I post about you and I'm like follow this person like you guys are idiots not to be following (laughs) him on Instagram because he keeps me so informed and like I don't know you bring me a lot of joy I'm so grateful for the content you put out and the fact that you like me as much as I like you it's like it's so validating. You have no idea. So your your word means more to me than most. Thank you. That's Seriously. the nicest thing ever. Thank you yeah, so much. This has been so fun. Thank you so much. Happy quarantine. I'm Evan Ross Katz. Shut Up Evan is produced by Alden Peters with additional editing by Ryan Killian Kraus. We just want to take one more moment to thank our Patreon subscribers who make this possible. If you are not subscribing to our Patreon, do it today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.